They're lining up. Oh, hi. So nothing that Mark said that I'm going to mention am I going to mention. But you can certainly talk to me. I should have. I was actually like, that would have been good. Um, you can certainly talk to me afterwards. Uh, good morning, Journey. It is, like Mark said, I'm Tracy. Um, and I'm delighted to speak to you this morning on the rhythm of the Sabbath. Um, I started practicing the Sabbath rhythm about a, three or four years ago, <clears throat> and I'm still learning, um, often the hard way, that uh, how to do that rhythm and how to pay attention to my own desperate need for it. Um, so when I was in college, I sold knives. Most people laugh at that, but it's okay that you didn't. Um, you might be familiar with the company, um, but uh, I have no issue with them. But they did have a crazy culture that I was submerged into. We had weekly staff meetings filled with propaganda about how to sell better. Uh, we were constantly being told about our rewards for sales. Some of you that are in sales know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, we had these insane regional meetings, too, where they would present these beautifully ornate English broadswords as rewards for the best salesperson in the region. I'll be honest, I really wanted one of those swords. It's the only time I ever wanted a sword in my... Well, it's not the only time. But um, <clears throat> but like many of my colleagues, I became obsessed. I talked about work all the time um, and never had any time for anything else, really. Uh, honestly, I kind of turned into a jerk to the people around me also, as my sister was very quick to tell me. Um, oh, and I was also tired and miserable. Uh, so I eventually quit that job. Um, when I graduated, I had a job where I was basically a social worker for children and adults with disabilities. It was stressful, to say the least. Again, those of you anywhere near social work know what I'm talking about. Um, but it felt really important. There were very few moments where I wasn't thinking about my job and the people I served. I was always on. And the high stress and high stakes of that job had serious effects on my health. So then I was sick and tired and miserable. I quit that job to go into full-time ministry. Uh, because I was following God's calling in my life, I assumed that would mean that ministry wouldn't be like those other jobs. The joy and life and sense of purpose would drown out any potential exhaustion and not to mention difficulty. Right, Mark? Um, over time, I discovered that the pressure and even higher stakes of reaching people for Christ took a significant toll on my life. I didn't take vacations or days off. I became the person who said things like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's really terrible theology, by the way. Um, and the truth was, it was actually, it really was killing me, the lack of sleep and lack of rest. Um, looking back, though, I see that it's not those jobs that made me miserable. I loved doing ministry. I still do. What made me miserable was not having a sane rhythm of work and rest. Though I'm still in process with my spiritual rhythms and practices, I'm learning that they are a lifeline for me. Rhythms like silence and solitude, contemplative prayer, and spiritual direction have opened a new world to me. One particular practice, however, is um, counterformative to my tendency to burn the candle at both ends. I'm sure none of you know what I'm talking about there. Um, and that's the rhythm of, observe, of observing the Sabbath. I started taking the Sabbath seriously recently, and I've spent a lot of time uh, studying the Sabbath and what it might mean for a current cultural moment. The rhythm of Sabbath, if you don't know, is the practice of taking 24 hours every week to cease work and to rest. In Jewish and some Christian traditions, the Sabbath, or Shabbat, is observed from Friday at Sunday, sundown to Saturday at sundown. In other Christian traditions, Sunday, or the Lord's Day, is when they observe the day of rest. 
I personally practice a more traditional Jewish Sabbath Shabbat, uh, mostly because Sundays end up being work, kind of work intensive for me sometimes. Um, but I've also practiced the Sabbath on other days of the week. Um, I just want to acknowledge for a second that you may be sitting here with some, either some confusion or even resistance to the idea of the Sabbath. That's okay. Um, I used to hate it when people told me to slow down. Still kind of do. Um, but I, I see love in it now. <laughs> um, but the truth is, most of us have a tendency to live at an insane pace uh, and not really rest. My hope is not to stand here so is as an expert then, but as a fellow learner who still gets it wrong a lot of the time. So before we dive into scripture, I just want to check our level of exhaustion. The last year I've heard the word tired a lot, um, a lot of times from my own mouth. So I just want to pause and pay attention to the level of fatigue we're experiencing at this very moment. So if you would, just find a comfortable position in your chair or at home um, where you can kind of, yeah, just be comfortable and just close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths and just notice your own body where there might be tension or tiredness. And I want you to think about the level of exhaustion you're currently experiencing. Are you feeling fully energized and refreshed right now? Are you feeling good tired, like that feeling you'd get after going swimming or playing in the snow as a kid? Do you feel like you're drifting toward a dangerous level of exhaustion? Here are some possible symptoms you may uh, recognize if you're close to being dangerously tired. Think about where you are right now and if you're experiencing any of the following. You don't love your job anymore. You resent the set of demands placed on you. You have a tendency to lose patience or compassion for those around you. You find yourself daydreaming about going somewhere else or living a different life. You often want to call in sick to work when you really just need to rest. You're compulsively addicted to work, saying things like, if I can just get this or that done, then I can rest. You're constantly plugged into technology or participating in other escapist behavior like binge-watching TV, shopping, overeating, pornography. You don't have the energy to choose something that actually is life-giving. You've given up on spiritual practices either because you feel like you don't have time or because they feel lifeless. Your relationships are suffering. You're neglecting dentist appointments, physicals, or oil changes because life has started to feel completely unmanageable and undone tasks are piling up. Open your eyes. There's a chance that you might be at the level of tired that you were tempted to fall asleep just now, or you actually did. If so, don't be ashamed of that. Just realize that that's your body telling you how tired you are. Um, also, you might have felt some conviction or confirmation from that list. Please don't be afraid. This morning is not about adding another thing to your list. In fact, the practice of Sabbath is an invitation from God for the life and liberation from the creator of the universe. So because of that invitation, I want to just consecrate this time together for these next few minutes as an opportunity to not only invite Christ to speak to us, but for us to see that Christ is inviting us to rest in his presence. I'm going to light this candle as I'm speaking so that while I'm speaking, it can be a visual reminder of that Christ is present and then he's inviting us into this rest.
Will you pray with me? Jesus, in the silence, we invite you to be present with us. Our hearts are beating fast, at least mine is. I just pray that you would put your hand on our heads and our hearts and remind us that we are dearly loved. So everything that we hear this morning is a way, it's a path to you. That all of these rhythms are not to make us feel unloved or unwelcome or as if we have to earn anything, but that they're a path to open up life and liberation and the people that we honestly want to be in your presence. God, I pray that you'd bind the enemy and any lies he wants to tell this morning. Shut him up in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that we would welcome you this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would rest like a downy, soft blanket on this space. And that we would talk about your rest, Sabbath rest, in the way that you intend it. God, use the words out of my mouth to only be edifying to the church and to glorify you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I want to take a look first at an interaction that Jesus had on the Sabbath, then unpack it, um, and then see what he might be saying to us in the practice of observing the Sabbath. So we're going to start in Luke 13, starting in verse 10. This is Jesus and the healing of the woman on the Sabbath. It begins, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus called her over, he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and he immediately, immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which you work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. So let's look at the three people in the story real quick. First, you have the woman. So imagine her situation. Like, really try to picture that in your mind's eye. She's been bent over and unable to stand up straight. It makes me, always makes me want to stand up straight when I talk about this. Um, unable to look people in the eye. Unable to play with her grandchildren. For 18 years, she's had one view, the ground. Keeping the ground in mind, I want to jump to Genesis 3 really quick. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In sorrow and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat of it, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. It's jumping back to the woman. For 18 years, she has only had the ground to look at, that dusty reminder of the curse. Every painful step was toil. 
thorn and thistle, reminding her of the dust that she would one day return to in death. How she must have longed to be free from the prison of her crippled body. How she must have wanted to stand up and see the sky. Now I must note here that even in her condition, this woman did not come to the temple to be healed. The text tells us that Jesus saw her and initiates her healing. That just does my heart good. You can imagine when Jesus does heal her and she stands up straight for the first time in almost 20 years that she would immediately praise God. But interrupting her praise, we have the ruler. After this miraculous healing, how does the ruler of the synagogue react? Well, first, he's indignant. I don't know if you've ever been indignant. That always feels like a bad feeling. Um, Why? Because Jesus was working on the Sabbath. No one, not servants, not animals, and certainly not rabbis, were supposed to work on the Sabbath. In fact, religious leaders had extensive lists that they added to what was and wasn't work, right down to what you could or couldn't carry. So when the ruler sees Jesus heal, he considers it work and a violation of the law of the Sabbath. Secondly, though, instead of rebuking Jesus directly, he turns to the people, including the woman, and rebukes them, saying, there are six days in which work should be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. He's quoting in part the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy and Exodus that say, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a, a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Remember, though, no one in the crowd, not even the woman, has come to the temple for healing expressly. They were there to worship. And we know that the ruler is angry with Jesus for working on the Sabbath. So what's he doing by rebuking the people? One, he's keeping order by asserting his religious power and authority over them. He's affirming that he is, in fact, the ruler of the synagogue by reminding the people when they can and can't come to be healed. And even though the ruler addresses the people like their teacher, it's clear that their physical well-being matters less than ensuring that the law, the letter of the law is kept. Instead of being awed by God's grace and power through this miraculous healing, the ruler scolds her. He's also flexing his spiritual muscle, indirectly saying that he's actually a little bit more holy than Jesus. By quoting the law in this way, he's passive-aggressively saying to the people, if y'all try this with me, I'm not going to heal you on the Sabbath. Because unlike this guy, I'm actually going to keep the Sabbath. So he's, remember, the issue, the ruler's issue is with Jesus, not with the people. The people don't actually matter. That's Jesus' whole point. So then what's the ruler not doing? Well, he's not actually keeping the law of the Sabbath, not in the way that God intended it, and it's Jesus who exposes this. Jesus not only exposes the character of the ruler, but he's actually the better rabbi that observes the true heart of the Sabbath. As if the ruler's hard heart isn't bad enough, Jesus further further exposes his hypocrisy, saying, you don't even keep the law to your own standards. You'll permit the work of untying your ox and leading it to water, and you literally will release an animal, a beast of burden, before you will release this woman in front of you. However, we must not forget that Jesus is a good rabbi. He's not unaware of the commandment to observe the Sabbath. In fact, I would submit to you that he's actually better at observing the Sabbath than any of the religious leaders. Remember that the ruler quotes the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So let's look at those two passages more closely. Um, In the Exodus 20 passage, it says this, starting verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, 
nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now I'm going to look at, let's look at the Deuteronomy passage too, and I want you to pay attention to what's similar and what's different. Again, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. If we can look at those side by side uh, real quick, it might be a little hard to read, but um, both of these passages are clear about observing the Sabbath. Both set apart the seventh day as a day without work, including all in your house, those who work for you, foreigners in your town, and even the animals that you have. Both passages also call us to remember This is the only commandment that does this. Exodus 20 calls us to remember the holiness of the Sabbath. Um, After six days of creating, God set apart the seventh day of rest, blessing it and making it holy. If you could just bring up the Exodus 20 passage, just as a reference, if you don't mind. Um, I'm going to give you guys some random things to do. (laughs) Um, So if you're like me, you probably have thought or been perplexed maybe by the idea that God rests on the seventh day. It's not like God gets tired after all. Um, Psalm 121 actually says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So when we say that God rested from his work, we're not talking about God needing a break to recuperate from exhaustion. The Hebrew word for rest here means the rest of completion or peace, like at the end of war. Let's look at some other places in the Old Testament where the word rest is used. First, Joshua 21 Um, It says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn uh, to their ancestors. Second Chronicles 15 says, They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. And then Second Chronicles 20, And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given them rest on every side. So this rest, then, in this passage, means that on the seventh day, God was not sleeping or tired, but he was at peace, like a nation at rest after war. The battle over the creation process is done. I don't know about any artists in the room. It is a battle. The creation process is a battle for me. But um, there was goodness in that work, and the work was done. But actually, God does create something on the seventh day. He creates the Sabbath. He sets apart the seventh day as a holy day of rest. Just as God set humanity apart as that Mago day, God set apart a whole day for them to experience his peaceful rest. God rested from his work, but the first man and woman were born into rest, into the holiness of the Sabbath. They worked from their rest. That distinction is really important. So let's look at the other passage in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5, we see that there is a difference in what to remember. Here we are called to remember that God brought Israel out of slavery. Sabbath, therefore, is an active remembrance of deliverance from the taskmasters of Egypt. 
So for generations, Israel knew what it was like to be unable to rest due to oppression. Some of you may have had jobs or experiences where that you felt that deeply. Um, so when God liberated them from their slavery, he called them to remember their deliverance by observing the Sabbath. It was the defiance of the mindset of slavery and oppression. Um, Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, which is all about the Sabbath, it's a beautiful book, he says it this way. Exodus grounds the Sabbath in creation. Deuteronomy grounds it in liberation. Exodus remembers Eden, Deuteronomy, Egypt. In Exodus, Sabbath keeping is about imitating divine example and receiving divine blessing. In Deuteronomy, it's about taking hold of divine deliverance and observing divine command. Exodus looks up, Deuteronomy looks back. Exodus gives theological rationale for rest and Deuteronomy historical justification for it. One evokes God's character, the other his redemption. One calls us to holy mimicry, be like God. The other to holy defiance, never be slaves again. One reminds us that we are God's children, the works of his hands. The other that we are no one's chattel, not Pharaoh's, not Nebuchadnezzar's, not Xerxes, not Beelzebub's. One is invitation, the other is warning. So when the ruler quotes these passages, using them as a way to bind up the people in religious power and legalism, and ignoring the miracle of the woman freed from her bondage, he's missing the entire point of the Sabbath. Jesus, on the other hand, sees these passages rightly, saying, shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound up for 18 years, be loosed on this, from her bond on the Sabbath day? The day for liberation, the day for life, the day for all who have been made in the image of God to be free to enter God's rest. If the Sabbath isn't a day for freedom from bondage, for healing, what is it for? So Jesus isn't canceling the Sabbath. He's reorienting the people from the legalistic practices that the Pharisees have added to it. The practices that have sucked the life and liberation out of the heart of the Sabbath. When Jesus sees the woman, he knows it's the perfect opportunity to bring the true heart of the Sabbath to life in her. Because as we know, Jesus came to liberate. It's important then that we ourselves reorient back to God's heart for observing the Sabbath. The truth is God invites us to embrace the invitation of life and liberation through observing the Sabbath. The Sabbath was and still is important to God. The commandment to keep the Sabbath is as unchanging as any of the commandments not to commit adultery or to murder. And this is the only commandment we're told to remember. Just as we're going to take communion this morning together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross, on the cross. By the way, a symbol, a practice that is done with a meal of bread and wine and not through some kind of act of torture. We can also remember that God has given us the liberation from our own taskmasters by practicing the rhythm of the Sabbath. Embracing the life of the Sabbath then starts with recognizing that we are created by God and are thus not God. Amen? Oh, man. We are human beings, which means that we are limited. Newsflash, you've got limits. Um, I need to hear that every day, I feel like. We need food, we need water, and we need sleep. <laughs> All the parents in the room are like, yes, Lord, preach. Uh, <laughs> we need sleep. Uh, we, need, we have limits. We're not machines. 
And we, we're not intended to be either, by the way. That's not the goal, is that we become like machines anyway. Um, God has built space into our life so that we can trust him where our limits end. To trust him to provide in that gap when we feel like we ought to be working. God blessed this space and called it holy. So we, we can rejoice every week that there's a day when we can enter into what is hallowed and experience the life-giving power of who God created us to be. Embracing the life of the Sabbath is also seeing life the way God sees it, as intimacy and oneness with him. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Observing Sabbath then is a chance to experience Jesus in a refreshed and slowed down way. It's an opportunity to have extended time to to contemplate God's love in your life, to slow down and taste and see that God is good. Embracing the liberation of Sabbath is remembering that God has freed us from our taskmasters. We are truly no longer slaves, not to sin and not to man. We are God's beloved, and he has given us the good space to rest. Sabbath releases you from conforming to a culture of speed and productivity. It exposes the idols in our hearts and assists in breaking our addictions from them. We are no longer slaves to our work, to performance, or to fear. Through this act of rest, we declare that we are not defined by the work of our hands, but by what God has done for us. You do not have to receive God's acceptance or to work to receive God's acceptance and and identity. It's already established in the work of Christ. You are a child of God. You can rest. If nobody's ever told you that, I'm telling you this. Based on the scriptures, you can rest. You can take a day. Sorry, I just needed to... Some of y'all really needed to hear that today. Um, I needed to hear that today. Um, If you know me well, you know I love snow. Where's Ken? My snow snow friend. Um, I will literally drive hours to find snow, especially since I moved to Chattanooga. It's been very disappointing. Um, (laughs) I have to drive away. I think one of the reasons I love snow so much is I'm trying to recreate that magical moment of the snow day. Um, anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, some, some of the, I've, I keep hearing people talk about because of the virtual stuff, we're not going to have snow days. And I'm like, I will not stand for that. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a magical thing. I just remember out of seemingly out of nowhere, this magical moment would happen where I'd go to bed expecting to go to, to, go to school. And in the morning, my mom would come into my room and she would whisper, Tracy, you don't have to get up for school. It's snow day. There's nothing literally better than that. No homework, no tests, no teachers. The only thing on the agenda was to play. And if I could, oh man, if I could bottle up that feeling. That's what the liberation of the Sabbath is like. Every Sabbath is that special, like that special day of a snow day. Permission from God himself to rest in his goodness and play like a child without fear or work or worry. I do want to pause for just a moment and acknowledge that while liberation from taskmasters may sound appealing, the idea of taking an entire day to rest may still seem impossible to you. I get that. This is not easy to embrace. And I'm learning that right alongside you. So I want to just check in with you uh, and let you consider your own thoughts about rest for just a moment. So let's take a minute and just pause. Again, check in with your breath. Take a few deep breaths and just reflect quietly on these questions for just a second. What prevents you from resting? What fears arise as you consider not not working for a day? Is there a voice you hear telling you you can't or shouldn't rest? 
Is it your own internal voice or some leader that you've had in the past? A parent, a boss, a spouse? What do or did they say to convince you that you aren't allowed to rest? What accusations do or did you hear? What do you believe about what it would look like for you to stop and rest? What would it mean for you to begin to think of Sabbath as freedom from enslavement to your work? Can I tell you this morning that God wants to liberate you from the taskmasters of even these thoughts? It's my hope that after hearing the heart of Sabbath, um, that it stirs in you to desire to practice it. Um, If it does, I want to give you just some tracks to run on uh, the last few minutes that we're together uh, to just start practicing this rhythm. Because it's, I know it seems daunting. If you're like all in, like, okay, that makes no sense. I don't know how to do that. Um, Because that was me. That's exactly how I felt. It, It was very scary at first. So just first, just decide to practice one Sabbath. Look on the calendar for one day that's realistic for you and your family to set aside as a trial Sabbath. No strings, no pressure. Put that date on the calendar and be firm about not scheduling over that time. This is honestly the hardest part about Sabbath practicing and observing it, is getting it on the calendar and doing it. So if you've done that, it's half the battle. Um, Next, think about the preparations and planning that are necessary for making sure that you can set aside all types of work and worry on this day. What can be done in advance? to help prepare you for that day. Shopping, cleaning, meal prep. Crockpots are amazing for this. Um, Remember that when God provided manna in the desert for Israel, he told them on Friday to go out and gather a double portion and not to gather on the Sabbath. He provided that double portion for them and they prepared for it. Uh, So trust that he will double your portion as you trust him for this rest. The next step in the planning piece of it is to think about what you will refuse to engage in so that it will truly be a day of rest and of worship and delight. Not doing things like housework and homework may seem obvious, but also consider things like not answering emails. That is really hard, I'll just be honest. Um, Or eliminating all other forms of technology that aren't giving life. It may seem like binge watching on Netflix will bring life, but it might not. And submit that it probably doesn't, let's be honest. Um, As much as I have all those things queued up in my Netflix. Anyway, um, then think about what activities do bring you delight in life and how you will include them. This was really hard for me at first and still kind of is because I wasn't, I was such a workaholic that I didn't really know what brought me life outside of work, which sounds really gross to me now to think about that. Um, Because I'm really passionate and I love a lot of things, but sometimes that can get in the way your workaholic side of you can get in the way. Um, You might find yourself digging up old hobbies and remembering how much you used to love them, as silly as they might be. Also, what things make you feel close to God that you never seem to have time to do? Like, I love to go walk in, like, Greenway or somewhere like that, and sometimes that doesn't always find, I can't always find time in my schedule. Um, So Sabbath is an opportunity for that. I've also found it helpful to consider what people give you life, and I try to spend time with those people on Sabbath. Um, Remember, practicing Sabbath is both communal and individual, so it's helpful to include time alone with God and with others. Finally, keep at it. It may take time and practice before you find your rhythm, so be gracious to yourself, be flexible, and be patient. And just lastly, just a few things to keep in mind as you practice the Sabbath. The practice of the Sabbath flies in the face of our culture today. The moment, the second you decide you want to practice this rhythm, and any spiritual rhythm, I would say, 
uh, you will find that there's resistance. Resistance from yourself and maybe from others. You may have to teach those around you that, you're, that this is your new rhythm. That might mean disappointing people, like that person that loves to send Saturday emails and expects you to respond. Um, just remember that to be gracious and kind. Remember, you're not only observing the Sabbath for yourself, but modeling it to a culture around you, and you might find that it benefits more than just you. Also, don't let yourself get bogged down in legalism or rules when you enter the process. I struggle with this on, the, on occasion, um, wanting to make sure it's perfect. Don't feel defeated either when it feels like you failed at Sabbath, because um, you might feel that way. All spiritual rhythms require practice in some degree of trial and error. Instead, think of practicing the Sabbath as an opportunity to see what's going on in your heart. You may find that you're a little too legalistic about some things and need to adjust. Or maybe, maybe you'll see that you sometimes use freedom as an excuse for sin. I'm personally still learning how to walk that path between legalism and license. But regardless, I know that God is with me in the process, and that's all he's asking for. You may also discover that there are different seasons for Sabbath. I say this specifically to those with young children, moms especially, um, because this always comes up as a, a pain point. And I, I know it's, it's something we joke about, but Sabbath will look differently for you. It just will. But God is inviting you into that. Um, and your seasons of Sabbath will change. Um, your, maybe your day for Sabbath will change. I don't know. Um, but just keep in mind that there are different seasons and to give yourself and your family and those around you grace. Above all, and finally, remember that Sabbath is an invitation from God that continues to be made possible because of what Jesus has done for us. Justin Early, the author of The Common Rule, says it this way, Jesus stayed up all night in the Garden of Gethsemane so you could rest, so you could sleep. He finished his work on the cross so you could rest. He let the world break him so it doesn't have to break you. He rose from the grave so all your aspirations won't end in the grave. This is your invitation. Shabbat Shalom, the peace of Sabbath to you, my friends. Let's pray. God, we embrace your life and your liberation. We welcome you to know that you are working and continue to work in our lives in rhythms like the Sabbath. God, as, as we reflect on these things and as we enter into communion with you, God, um, I just pray for that liberation in life to, to be present. Um, Lord, I pray if there's people here today that are still resisting and still scared um, of what it might look like to rest, God, I pray that in faith they would step out and at least ask you what rest and Sabbath might look like for them. For those of us that are maybe bound up in the legalism of, of having to keep the letter of the law in, in such a way that uh, chokes out the life and the, the liberation of the Sabbath, Lord, I pray that you would release us from that bondage as well. Above all, God, I pray that your people would grow closer to you through these practices, um, that they would find life in you, Christ. Lord, as we drink as we drink in the death and the resurrection this morning through communion, I pray that, that your body broken for us and your blood spilled for us would, would weigh on our heart in a way that leads to liberation, that leads to joy and rejoicing and worship and not to condemnation. 
God, we have not been allowed into the wedding feast to simply serve cake, but to be the bride. You are inviting us to be the bride of Christ. And we, we celebrate that this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you for the permission to rest and enter into your weekly snow day with joy. It's your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.